you guys in Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal. <laughs> and this is the Vine Fair Podcast. Aw, Zach. I miss I'm you sorry, guys. We miss you, bud. You know, I mean, you've been here before. You. I have. You, know, you were here before, though, and you were like, I don't know if your oysters were as good as our oysters in Seattle. Remember that? Remember that? <laughs> I stand by my claims. But sadly, sadly, I have developed a mild oyster allergy. It's actually a real bummer. Oh, what? I know. How did that happen? Uh, allergies suck, dude. Uh, yeah. Not to start the podcast out on a depressing note, but uh, I recently found out that I have uh, not a severe allergy at this point, although it could become more severe, sadly, but uh, to to uh what is it oysters uh scallops not all shellfish i'm apparently not allergic to mussels but clams oysters and scallops which is a bummer Weird, that's crazy man what a bummer Uh uh-huh so well you know so i I guess i'm maybe not missing as much as i would be (laughs) i feel like in humanity there's always something we can't eat right like we all have something we can't eat pretty much yours is shellfish mine is spicy food some people's is dairy i can eat everything actually okay okay joanna fucking just (laughs) up here flexing yeah (laughs) she's just like i can eat everything actually (laughs) so fuck up that's not anyways like a challenge I know, seriously. Uh, so, Zach, what, what have you drank this week? Uh, I can still drink, fortunately, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. um, well, so a couple of things. Um, I followed, or I wouldn't say I followed necessarily uh, your advice, Adam, but I would say that I had something that reminded me of a thing you talked about on the podcast uh, yes. a couple of weeks ago, which is um, I had an older bottle, relatively older bottle of uh, Gran Reserva Rioja from Sierra Cantabria. Um, nice. Which, yeah, it was delicious. And, and it was a 2008 vintage, um, but I only bought it within the last probably last year, year and a half. Um, it's it maybe, maybe they're onto their 2009 or 2010, but in other words, you know, their current release was, uh, at least a decade old and, and is a the great bottles of wine. I love, um, older Rioja or even, I guess current vintage, but it's a decade plus old usually when you get your hands on it. Um, and that was really, really tasty. Um, I think the other thing, um, to do a little bit of uh, cross promotion, uh, those of you listening to this probably know, uh, we're in the middle of running a six part series I did, um, with Patron, um, all about tequila. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, when the series aired, my wife was like, oh, we should probably drink some tequila. And I was like, I'm, I'm on board with this. So I had some of the extra Añejo last night, which was um, also very tasty. Went well so that's with... a great tequila. It is a great tequila. I, I really, I mean, I, across the line, and again, you know, the, the, they're all, they all have their place and, and time. Um, obviously, I think the, you know, the, the way I enjoy the the Blanco or the Silver is a little different than the extra Añejo. But uh, that one, I just, the extra Añejo is just in a glass, sip it kind of deal for me. I don't really fuck around beyond that. So, but you guys have been like traveling. What what have you had that's super exciting? Joanna, come on. We're in Charleston for the Charleston (laughs) Wine and Food Festival. What's going on? We are. Yeah. We really kicked off, uh, kicked off the trip with a bang last night. We had a really wonderful dinner at Post, Post House Inn. Um, and had some really delicious drinks there. I had a corpse reviver, and Adam will make fun of me for this, but I had a very delicious spiked hot chocolate. You did. Ooh. It was really, with, really silly. With rum and green chartreuse <laughs> nice. and peppercorn whipped cream. But like, come and, on. And actually, as, as she's having insurance to me, she goes, Adam, this is the best hot chocolate I've ever had. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it looks delicious, it was, but it's still it boozy hot good. chocolate, Joanna. But come on, rum and green chartreuse. That's, that's pretty that's good. interesting. That's and pretty a pe- peppercorn cream. Like, yeah. yeah. Really good. True. True. Yeah. Uh, it's so no Swiss right now, mess, but. No. So no. as we record, because we're at the festival, I'm having a PBR. Yes, nice. we are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're getting toasty, Adam, today. Uh, and, and also. Uh, Adam, so, you're always toasty. No, don't. Sometimes he's zesty. I'd say this is zesty. zesty. He's spicy. Usually, I, usually I'm hopped up on four espresso. Yeah. 
today there's a, a few beers because we're at the festival. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still going to be hopped up, mm-hmm. but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, we, I also had, I had a Vesper last night at, nice. at post house, which was really, you know, delicious. Um, and then today we went to an amazing Rose masterclass that we hosted and that, um, to hear Habibi sort of ran for us, which was awesome. They, we drank some Brendel Rose, some other really cool wines. And then at the walk around tasting, uh, I had an okay cocktail from a whiskey brand that I won't, I won't discuss here. <laughs> I think it's hard to do festivals. are hard. I think festival cocktails are hard. That's volume. I think it's right hard there. to do volume yeah. at a festival. Like, you know, they were out of the cocktail I wanted. It was a very, very, very prominent whiskey brand, bourbon brand. They only had the other cocktail. And I asked, is this a cocktail that is home in Charleston? Because I'd never heard of it before. And I'd heard from people in the, the Charleston Wine and Food Festival that it is like Charleston's cocktail. It's the Planter's Punch. Oh, okay. sure. And I think that Charleston kind of claims it, right? Is that true? All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> That's sorry, live fact-checking, folks. We don't I'm, usually I'm, have yeah, that. I'm getting, co- I'm getting confirmation here from, uh, from the Mom. amazing Charleston team. Yeah. yeah. And uh, – yeah, like they didn't know. They're like, "Oh, we don't know." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, cool. Well, I'll try. It was fine." Uh, and besides that, you know, just lots more drinking ahead. A lot more drinking ahead. Yeah, we're we're here all weekend. It's Friday. Uh, we're recording on a Friday, obviously. But we didn't want to talk about that. What we want to talk about today is something that has been in the in the world of our conversations for a while, but we've we've never really like had the hook in to discuss. And that is the speakeasy and its relevance. Mm-hmm. And I will bring up this anecdote. So flying down to Charleston. Uh, oh, I we, see where this is going. We <laughs> went into JFK. Mm-hmm. And in JFK, there is a Centurion Lounge. Uh-huh. For those that are unaware, Centurion Lounge is a lounge that Amex operates uh, for platinum Amex cardholders. <laughs> I'm a platinum Amex cardholder. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> humble brag over here. Or not yeah. even humble. Not I don't so know. humble. Yeah. Not so humble. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, a zesty brag. <laughs> So I was like, oh, team. So Tim, Osette, Joanne, and I were like, let's go into the Centurion Lounge. It's it's recently opened. And one of the hooks of the lounge is that they have a fucking speakeasy in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you like go downstairs and there's a very clearly marked door. It's not even like trying to hide to mm-hmm. be a fake door, but it it's a door that says like 1858 next to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something. 1850. I guess that must be when Amex was started. Who fucking knows? Mm-hmm. Anyways, and you go in, and it's a speakeasy that the entire cocktail program has been done by Jim Meehan. Mm-hmm. And, of PDT fame. Yeah, of PDT fame, exactly. Famous speakeasy. Sp- famous speakeasy. Mm-hmm. And the question we have is, like, are speakeasies relevant anymore? Like, what is the point of them? And I feel like they've they've – gain new relevance over the past few years because of TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like you see them more and more and more, but are they actually that cool? Like, do we all <laughs> want to drink at a speakeasy? Like, you know, and also the fact that they've expanded across Europe where they never had prohibition. So therefore right. they never had a need to have a speakeasy because they literally were not trying to hide the consumption of alcohol ever mm-hmm. is kind of hilarious. And 
You know, New York alone probably has six, seven, eight speakeasies, right? You have Cupping Room, PDT, the weird one in the in the subway station, the ice cream shop, the bodega, like all these speakeasies. And now JFK has one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, like, what both your thoughts are about speakeasies sort of as a concept and then the current state we find ourselves in. Well, Joanna, since you were recently in one, you should give your thoughts first. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think this is interesting because I think there's a certain, obviously, allure of the speakeasy, right? This idea of you're you're going to a secret bar that people don't know about, and you have to ring a certain like phone to get in, and you maybe get in, but maybe not. Or you yeah. need a code or something. Like, I think that part is fun and interesting. So I understand this part of drinking culture being exported to Europe or them trying to recreate it there because I think it's a fun idea. But I, my issue with speakeasies now is that like you can make reservations at a speakeasy, right? right? Like or you, you can could, make a resi we were talking about at lunch app to, for PDT. Right. So what like, the fuck? So that part, I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose of the original intent of the speakeasy to be like a secret bar. And so I definitely right. think that takes away from the appeal i also just think they're like too like mass now you know right. like it's everybody a- knows about them i i feel like a speakeasy these days is just like a style of bar right like you it's, have it's- a pub you have a speakeasy and i think at least with speakeasies you can expect to get good cocktails like they're gonna have a good cocktail program uh, maybe. <laughs> i don't no? think so no no, I, I call know. hard bullshit on that. Okay, but if you're going to a bar that purports to be a speakeasy or a speakeasy style bar, you think so the ice cream shop bar has good cocktails? Well, I, don't, I think you're gonna you're not gonna get like well drinks, right? True. You're gonna get cocktails. You're There's gonna get gonna a, be cocktail. a cocktail menu, whether they're good or not. I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, agree. so I think that it's like kind of a style of a bar now. Yeah, it is. It's become a style for marketing purposes. Yeah, exactly. Which is what I think is. Like the Subway bar, right? right? Like the Subway bar is like all for marketing. There's a, a bar, a speakeasy in the 28th Street station for of the one the train. One train. Never been. I don't <laughs> I, think I'll ever go. But it I, sounds like a great TikTok story. I bet like, it's less good than the like uh, sushi restaurants in Japanese subway stations. Oh yeah, oh, but that's definitely. like a that's a vibe, right? <laughs> exactly. So what about? For, I mean, how many speakeasies are in Seattle, Zach? Oh boy! You know what the what the like active count of them is? There, it definitely had its hey. Uh, I would say its first heyday in the like late aughts, early twenty tens here, right? Um, yeah. Where like there were a bunch of them, and like Tavern Law, which was already like a rest a bar that was designed around sort of prohibition era sensibilities. You know, there were definitely suspenders and like waxed mustaches and stuff, and mm. um, and it was a, it was a really popular bar here. Um, and then they had like inside it their own speakeasy. You know, definitely modeled on some of the some of the bars in New York and other places. Um, and like, I'm sure that a couple of those places are still around. I think that the you, thing has there been a resurgence. Do you feel? I don't think so, but I also think that one thing that's really different about cocktail culture in Seattle versus probably in New York is that Seattle has all has, especially since the pandemic started, like a lot of the cocktail bars have really, um, I think I've been struggling just because you don't have the same density of people. And so it's harder mm-hmm. to get like speakeasies have to have like you have to have a certain kind of. I don't want to say it's not kind of clientele. That's not really what I'm trying to say. But like, you have to have a certain density of of people wanting to go out for a drink every night of the week to kind of make something that's as um, stylized, maybe as a speakeasy, kind yeah, of make sense. sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I'm also you know have candidly not been going out 
for cocktails much since uh, the pandemic started for for pandemic and parenting reasons. Um, But I will say that one thing that is interesting to me about this whole conversation is that you know, with with speakeasies in particular, and that whole kind of conceit of the place, I mean, are they really? Are we really just talking about the the cocktail bar equivalent of the VIP lounge in a nightclub? Like, are, isn't that kind of the same aesthetic and the same kind of vibe we're going for? That people are wanting something that feels more exclusive than than the the main experience, even if functionally all you're doing is saying we're we're probably in most of these places having the exact same experience we could have in a different bar or in another part of the same bar, but in a segregated part, you know, the part that's that's sectioned off in one way or another. And is that really what people are excited about? Like I I, <laughs> I don't think so because I don't I feel like with the VIP lounge not everyone can get in. Right. But with a speakeasy everyone can get in. Yeah. <laughs> I guess nowadays I everyone that- can get in. Yes, I suppose that's right. the point, right? Right, like I think that, like, yes, pre this time, mm-hmm. right? So probably early, like late two thousand, like late aughts, early two thousand tens, as you're saying. I think that argument would hold true, right? Like, okay. you had to figure out, like, there was this number to call for PDT. Right. You had to get the number first, then you had to like, like it would be busy, busy, busy. Somehow you got in if you called at the right time. Someone picked up, mm-hmm. you got a table. So it was very exclusive, and there was always expectations of like what you were spending, yeah, b- based on the fact that you got it, or you had to know someone, right? Or you had to know someone, right? Or be a celebrity, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I when PDT was like in its heyday, I was drinking at a table and like Clive Owen was next to me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was super cool. I was like Clive Owen, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like you know, now that you can make the fucking reservation on Resi, mm-hmm. it's just exclusive. To feel exclusive, but it's actually not exclusive at all. So I think another part of this conversation is this idea of like, there's a younger generation of people who were not around for that mm, first. Yes, or definitely not le- of legal drinking age. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. So that's why I think it's so popular again, and that people are opening new speakeasies because there's like the TikTok culture yeah, they love generation social. that like is very attract. This is very appealing to them. So so it's finding like hold with this generation i want to ask a question on that vein joanna because what what i'm wondering is do you think it's that for people for younger people who maybe didn't have the speakeasy experience previously and or just people who's who sort of have shifted their social media uh consumption to tiktok from other platforms or whatever is it Mm -hmm. that if you're someone who wants to 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 you know whatever make a name for yourself on tiktok or just is is attracted to that whole kind of approach is it that you're that you're that, that these spaces are kind of analogous to what we are aligned with what we we're talking about before that they're they're designed to be to look good on TikTok or is it just the perception of exclusivity that is appealing? I think it's the latter. Yeah. I think it's like so you're the person hosting the TikTok who can go into the exclusive place that maybe people aren't going to or don't know about or something like that. Yeah. And it's that like desire to step into this other world. So it's, it's like, I think that the most popular speakeasies now are the speakeasies where like, it's not just the unmarked door. I think those are, they still exist, right? Like, I mean, it's funny. I was just, I, mean, I know I talk about Lancaster, Pennsylvania a lot. It's a great city. You guys should all visit. Uh, not just because my wife is from there. Lancaster tourism board over here. Yeah. You guys should pay me, but <laughs> they have a speakeasy, which is hilarious to me. Um, downtown it's, and it's an, it's, you know, an unmarked door, 
But for the most part, I think what you're seeing in the popularity of speakeasies is actually speakeasies inside other places. It's yeah. like the faux. The barbershop. And you're not even seeing it just in drinks. So in New York, there is a tasting menu only restaurant called Frivo. I would argue actually a very good restaurant with a very inventive menu and a delicious wine list, but that is behind a painting in an art gallery. So they've created a fake art gallery. You walk in, they have it's shows. A fake art gallery? So yeah, so, so basically, <laughs> so I was talking to the owners and they basically said the way that they came up with the concept was they wanted the restaurant to be smaller because they always say they wanted to do a tasting, style, tasting menu style restaurant. And the space was too big. Mm-hmm. It was very long, very deep. And so to make it the intimacy they wanted, they had to cut the front off. Mm-hmm. So they had this like dead space. It's almost the size of the room we're sitting in now, which no one else can see, but probably like, I don't know, 20 feet deep, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, let's, let's build a fake wall there and just do something else. And then one of their friends was like, well, I'm an artist. I'll make art. And they're like, oh, well, you're a well-known artist. Why don't we show your work and sell it? And then it just became an art gallery. Gotcha. Okay. But now, like, the reason it shows up on TikTok all the time is because it's the cool tasting menu restaurant that's secretly behind an art gallery. Mm-hmm. And I think people like that. It's, it's like it's the bar behind the subway station. It's the bar behind the ice cream shop, Coffee inside shop. the bodega, right. inside the taco shop. Like, that's what – everyone thinks is so cool yeah. what i think as a bar is holy shit you gotta run two fucking separate businesses like that sounds like the worst yeah, yeah. you know like you gotta run an ice cream shop and a bar mm-hmm. fuck that's a lot of shit to deal with but i also think it's interesting because i think of a place like patent pending yeah which is behind a coffee shop right. in new york um and that's like their daytime business and then patent pending is their nighttime business. Right. So that makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's definitely been a proliferation of these kind of mixed, I don't know if they're mixed use spaces exactly or whatever, but I definitely have seen here in Seattle, a lot of places that are trying to operate under one kind of business model during the day yeah. and switching over to something that's more kind of beverage alcohol focused at night as a way to kind of maximize revenue. Yeah. You know, you're paying the same rent, no matter how many hours a day you're open. Um, and so if you can generate revenue in the daytime and at night, that's a, a more logical approach, perhaps, than just trying to do business in, in one or the other, um, you know, time time window. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I want to ask you guys I, another question about this, please. though, because it's it, I'm curious your thoughts. So another thing that occurs to me is that are we are we past the point where we could ever return to the kind of speakeasy that you described, Adam, with in the early days of like PDT, or something could really truly be a word of mouth thing. Because now, whether it's TikTok, you know, Instagram, whatever, all this stuff, if someone opens something, as soon as it starts to get any kind of reputation, presumably there's going to be someone, you know, posting on social media about it or 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 you know, doing something along those lines. And it's like, I almost wonder, like, A, do you think there are places out there that I'm not talking about like, you know, underground gambling dens or whatever, but like mm-hmm. places that are out there that are truly off the radar? Like, I don't know. Could you open a place where you're like, we confiscate everyone's phone when they come in? And like, you cannot post while you're here. Um, maybe still word would get out because people can post other times. Like, are we just past a point where a true speakeasy in the sense of you really have to know to get in could ever exist? I know. So we were talking to our colleague, Katie Brown, and she was telling us, I believe it was about a place in Philadelphia where they do just that. They like take your, you leave your phone. It's hops Oh, oh yes. Okay. Sorry. And they, you're not allowed to, they either take your phone. You're not allowed to have, take pictures. There's a very strict rule list, everything. Right. And they'll ban you. They'll ban you for life. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I, I guess that does exist. And so you're really not meant to know much about this place unless you hear about it from someone else. Right. I mean, it's it has been covered media. obviously, but right. But yes, I think you could do it. I mm-hmm. think that that's, you know, you have, but you have to be someone that is willing to turn away customers. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to be someone that's like willing to operate your reservation system on burner phones, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. That like the number changes every X weeks and you really are only texting the new number out to like your core clientele and hoping your core clientele then only seeds that number back out to the people that they trust. And then when then that person who was trusted leaks it to TikTok, the burner phone changes. Like I think that's the only way that you could operate. And especially in a post-COVID world right now, probably hard unless you're independently wealthy. Right. Yeah. I, was gonna I say. could see it being someone's like hobby, like, oh, you know, this seems like a cool thing to run. Because I, I like, you know, love exclusivity already because I also have my, my like, you know, my jet street, you know, I, I got the PJ sitting ready to go when I like mm-hmm. take off, you know, my golf stream's good to go. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of the opposite of the Instagram bar that yeah. we were talking about weeks ago, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I think it's, I, I think you, you, to do that, you really don't want to make money. I have one more question for you guys in this vein. Are we missing something also here with this sort of like, this was not true of any of the speakeasies that I went to, you know, quote unquote speakeasies I went to in their previous kind of heyday. Uh, I don't know if it was true of any of the ones that either of you might have gone to. But like, in addition to the sort of your sort of note, Adam, that it's sort of silly that these things are are uh, popping up in Europe where, um, you know, there was no prohibition. So what could you be? You know what? What could be the point I mean, of a that's speakeasy? That's just hilarious. Come on, for why? sure. Oh, for sure. But like, are we missing something in terms of the like? This is maybe borderline not okay to talk about on the podcast. But like, are we missing something where there's like no element of illegality to what's going on that that also kind of like robs them of their like right of the, there's no there, you, you know you're not even uh, you know like there's. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm definitely not advocating anyone breaking the law for sure, but like part of I think that the the whole conceit, the nostalgia of sorts for the speakeasy, the original speakeasies, you know, in, during prohibition here in, in the U.S., was this idea of like you were doing something, you know, outside the law. And yeah, I don't know that any of the speakeasies that operated in the aughts or tens were breaking laws in any real way, no, but some no, of them no. might have been no. kind of breaking like fire code or breaking, you know, maybe they didn't, mm. maybe they needed a separate, separate liquor license. And then having, I mean, again, different municipalities have different rules, et cetera. Maybe they opened, stayed open later than they were supposed to. There was at least, I think in some of them, the veneer that maybe we were doing something a little bit not okay. Illicit, illicit yeah. Yeah. And I now it's just, biggest... a, now it's just what Joanna was saying. It's just another skin for a, for a cocktail bar. It's okay. This mm-hmm. is a speakeasy themed bar versus a, a tropical yeah. drink themed bar or a you know whatever a gilded age paris themed bar whatever the fuck like it's just a skin for your bar it's not it's not a there's nothing to the to the original idea that remains other than just the aesthetic i think the biggest thing they were doing in the early aughts wasn't breaking the law but they were going and operating in neighborhoods that people didn't Mm. go to that often they were like if you okay so fine now where milk and honey was attaboy is is obviously super, you know, gentrified, et cetera. But like at the time when they were deep in Lower East, no one went there. Mm-hmm. The place where now I don't know why I feel terrible. The speakeasy in San Francisco uh, was it was in the Tenderloin. It still is yeah. in the Tenderloin, right? Like people didn't go there. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. more people do. Like that. It was the idea was the speakeasy was in these play in these neighborhoods where 
no one was going and that's kind of what that was part of their allure yeah was, of it course. was it wasn't just oh it's an unmarked door it's an unmarked door in this neighborhood like if i can't find it we're fucked mm-hmm. like that was the feeling people had and you don't have that anymore because i think a lot of you know everyone's returned to urban centers people feel very safe throughout their cities so now i think yeah the 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 new speakeasy is just like kitsch mm-hmm. yeah it's it's instagram it's it's a different kind of speakeasy there's you know, there's no just like, I got to find this place. And then it's cool. We're going to have this crazy night. We're going to say we were in a part of the city we never were. Like, I just don't know how many people are going to go to a speakeasy like in deep Brooklyn or deep Queens. They're great parts of the city of New York, my city. But, uh, you know, they're not they're, – they're, they're also a long fucking trip home. And that's an expensive <laughs> Uber ride for most people. Yeah. So – like the fact that sort of all of Manhattan in a lot of ways or the parts of Manhattan that are very easy to get to has been like discovered Mm -hmm. kind of hurts the, that kind of speakeasy. And now we're in this position where it really is just like, okay, cool. Do you want to go into a speakeasy inside of an ice cream shop? Let's get two scoops first. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. (laughs) Can I ask you guys, do either of you have any memorable speakeasy experiences, either somewhat recently or in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I have totally. a, I have a story I'd like to share, but I'd like to hear from Please you guys. Please share yours first. Okay. No, we got to so, hear yours first. Yeah, yeah. You want to share it, and I got to hear it. Okay. <laughs> so um, a number of years ago, Caitlin and I were in Philadelphia uh, for a friend's wedding. And the it was the night of the rehearsal dinner, which um, was fine, but kind of we were we were kind of wanting to go out and do something because the, we had the previous night we had been with a bunch of my college friends. It was a college friend who was getting married and the next night was the wedding. And so we knew it was like our one night to kind of do anything in Philadelphia, kind of just the two of us. And so we left for the hotel we were staying, which is um, kind of uh, not quite all the way into West Philadelphia, but kind of on the border um, near Drexel for those of you who are in Philadelphia or know it well. And uh, we were, we had uh, just kind of decided we're going to walk around and see what we found. And so we first went into another uh, bar that was actually very quiet. And, but we were just kind of like, okay, well, we'll get a drink, hang out, talk to the bartender. And uh, the bartender was like, you know, after we'd had a drink, we we're like, hey, do you have anywhere else you'd recommend? He's like, well, you know, here's a couple of places. And he's like, or if you're up for a real adventure, there's this place called Fiume, which is like on the second floor above an Ethiopian restaurant. And we're like, that sounds cool. Like, let's go do that. Um, and so we he's like, OK, you know, here's where it is. We look it up on the phone. It's like a 20, 25 minute walk. We're like, yeah, let's just walk. It's summer. It's a nice night. Like, let's just go. So we walk over to this place and we're in you know, in West Philadelphia, it's like a totally nondescript street corner, like residential neighborhood. There's like a small Ethiopian restaurant. And, and like, we look above it and like, it just looks like a living, like someone's living room window or I I guess there's a bar there. Okay. Let's, let's find Mm -hmm. out. We walk into the Ethiopian restaurant and mind you, it's like 1030 at night, 11 at night. Like the restaurant is still open. There's like a few people eating in there and we look and, and we, we like walk up to the front and we're like, we're here to go to the bar. And the guy's like upstairs. So we like walk up the stairs, which are totally just an apartment building staircase. Like it's, we have still feels like you're in just some, you know, in someone's apartment. We get to the door. Um, there's no sign or anything. We're like, I, we like knock on the door. Guy opens it and he looks at us. He's like, what do you want? I'm like, uh, can we, can we get a drink? And he's like, looks at us. He's like, I got two seats. And so there's like two seats at the bar. We walk in. It's, it literally is an apartment living room, essentially. There's like a few couches, some chairs. There's probably like 25 people in the room, 30 people in the room. Uh, there's like a six, like a four or six seat bar where there's two seats. And so we go sit down there. And the dude is like, the bartender is, it's a trip. Like he's, he's definitely not speakeasy style in terms of like no, no suspenders. Dude looks like he had, was quite this possibly very illegal. high. Yeah, this sounds <laughs> super illegal. 
It sounds yeah. like this wasn't a legal bar. This was a bar in someone's apartment. Oh, yeah. it. <laughs> but it's not. It, 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 well, I don't think it exists anymore. I think COVID killed it. But um, but it's it was they were actually licensed. They had a liquor license. I saw it hanging in the back. Um, mm-hmm. they had like a, 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 they had cocktails. They had a lot of beer as well. Um, it was really cool. We had a couple of drinks there. We asked the guy for some more recommendations. He literally like ripped off um a piece of a like a, a beer carton and wrote like the names of like five other bars in Sharpie. Um, which we like kept for a while. I think it's since disappeared. We, we're not big scrapbookers, so it didn't linger, but uh, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience and like definitely speaks to the like thing that a speakeasy or something in that vein can do, which is just kind of give you that element, not of danger exactly, but of the unknown, suspense, the discovery, suspense, the yeah. like the yeah, nondescript door. And that's really cool special about it. Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like you're, it feels like you're in on a secret, which exactly. is what I think people exactly. like. Yes. Yeah, totally. Joanna, what about you? Oh, gosh. I'm thinking about – I feel like going to PDT for the first time was yeah, very totally. formative for me, um, getting through that phone booth, not knowing if I was going to get through the phone booth. Um, but one actually – You weren't with Clive Owen? No, I was not. I wasn't with Clive. Um, there's a place in, in the city called Blind Barber – which I don't know if it's cool anymore, but oh, I knew day, Blind Barber. Yeah, back in the day, it was yeah. so cool. And I, the first time I ever went there, you have to go through like a barber shop. It's just off of Tompkins Square Park, and uh, it is truly through the barber shop. And then there's a bar back there called Blind Barber. Anyway, and, and I, I was in college at NYU, and I was going and like meet my brother and his friends, and they were there. Um, so getting through there by myself, I was like, yeah, again, not knowing if I would get in. Um, and then it was like this like cocktail den when you get through and there was really busy and lots of people. So that was a, that was pretty great for me too. That's cool. So for me, I would say, I mean, yeah, like the, the coolest one early on for me was milk and honey, Mm -hmm. like having the phone number. I knew Naomi got the number. I didn't get the number, (laughs) but she got the number and that was super cool. Uh, And just a really memorable experience. And then a terrible experience I had <laughs> was in Europe uh, at Buck and Breck, which is a very well-known speakeasy in Berlin, where you get there and the whole front is like – it looks like it, it might – it could be like a warehouse slash liquor store. Like it's it's kind of – it always says closed. <laughs> so maybe I walked by three times before we realized we should probably ring a buzzer because there's like no – you don't know what to do. You pull on the door, ring the buzzer. We go in, and then we didn't realize that in the speakeasies in Berlin, you can also smoke. Mm. And it was, like, the worst <laughs> cocktail ever because we're just, like, covered in smoke. And, like, I couldn't taste it. I was like, let's just go. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, again, I guess cool for them. They had a speakeasy where you could smoke. Uh, but, yeah, but I, I still I still think, like, PDT, Blind Barber, all those places early on were such cool experiences. Mm-hmm. Even Pouring Ribbons, to be honest. There was, some, there was an allure to Pouring Ribbons. Like, Is it a speakeasy? It wasn't, but it was a second floor spot. Right, a lot of people right. didn't know it. And before it was Pouring Ribbons, it was a really cool – it was called Mr. – maybe Mr. Chow or something. It was a dance party club. Like it was Because it's above a bodega, so like yes, no yeah. one really knew about it. Um, and it had the same kind of – sort of allure as that other spot in the East Village uh, that now Southern Teague has something to do with. It's like right near Moria Margo, but it was some some name. I mean, all, all, there were so many speakeasies in the East Village at mm-hmm. one time that it's just kind of insane to think about. Like, even at Moria Margo, it was kind of a speakeasy. Like, right. no one knew about it. It was an unmarked door. You watch it like, oh, bitter cocktails, only stirred, probably batched. But, like, those are the things that, you know, <laughs> you just – 
you didn't know about mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, and so they felt really special. And now I feel like, yeah, we're in this, we're in this world where the speakeasy kind of is just kitsch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not here for that. And there are more of them now. And there's way more of them. Yeah. There's way more of them. I miss the speakeasy that used to be in my neighborhood in Fort Greene. Uh, it was like this really cool Japanese bar in the back of Walters. Oh. It was really great, but I don't think it's opened uh, post-pandemic. But I miss it. Had a really good uh, highball. Really good highball. Mm. Although, you know, not the biggest fan of highballs, but it was the one highball I liked. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. I know. Joanna admitted to me last night at dinner. She was like, I don't like highballs. She's like, <laughs> she like, I know it's not cool to say I don't like highballs. I don't like highballs. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I don't really like them either, Joanna. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I don't. Think, I don't think they're coming back. You know, they're not. <laughs> no one likes a highball. Zach, you like a highball? <laughs> it's not generally my like preferred cocktail style, but there's exactly. a kind of place for something. I like a long drink yeah. from time to time. Like it's it's a oh, useful yeah. it's a useful when you want to have something, but you want it to last and you want it to not be too boozy. Mm. True, but that's another topic. Well, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of booze, we're gonna go because we yeah. have to hit up an oyster and a wine party right now. <laughs> have some oysters uh, for me. Yeah, we, we will. You won't approve of them because none of them are West Coast. Well, none of them are West Coast. <laughs> now, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, true, true. Oh, it's not going to be as fun to tease you now that it's like I feel I bad. I, just, um, I, won't have any, I won't have any leg to stand on anymore. So I know. Uh, but I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Cool? Yes, sounds great. Have a great time, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.